Welcome to the Offshore Accountant Podcast. I'm Nick Sinclair and this is the go-to podcast if you're an accountant and looking to set up and build a high-performing offshore team for your accounting firm. Here you can learn how to complement your local efforts, grow capacity and deliver more to clients than ever before. Hear from experts who have done it already. Let's go. Hi, I'm Justin Flavel, Managing Director of Omnis Group, and you're listening to the Offshore Accountants Podcast. Justin, give us an overview of your team structure, your local team, your offshore team, number of team members, and what sort of roles that they are doing both locally and offshore. Okay, so our team, our team's changed a lot over the offshoring process. Um, we're currently one director, um, 8.5 FTEs onshore and five FTEs offshore. Um, we've taken an approach with our um, with our offshore team for them to pretty much being into everything that we do. Um, we're not just saying that they're doing low-end type work. We are using them um, for self-managed super fund audits. We're using them for bookkeeping. We're using them for ASIC. Um, we're using them for business services, um, compliance, financial statements, tax returns, um, and they can do most of the things that we need them to do right now. As we start and grow and evolving our service offering, they will be involved more and more in our spotlight reporting um, as we develop and build out that. Onshore, um, we've focused on making sure that uh, our team in Australia are really presentable um, and can basically build client relationships and hold those client relationships with the capacity being driven offshore. Uh, in addition to that, we've obviously got our professional staff onshore, but we do have quite a high number now 8.5 FTEs that are actually admin people, so support people to make sure that they support the people inside the business on the ground in, in Australia. Yeah, that's great. Now, you were one of our early adopters, so you were in the in the first batch of clients to come on um, with the mm. offshoring. Now, do you want to tell mm. us a little bit how your strategy has changed? You mentioned before it's changed over the years. How has it, yeah, sure. it changed? Um, what we did do initially is um, we, we needed additional capacity in the early 2000s, even up to 2010, 2014. It was really difficult to get professional staff because of uh, basically the mining sector here in, in our local economy. And we, we just really needed capacity and, and it, it changed um, it changed the way that we approached uh, dealing with offshoring um, because we thought that the people that we're, we're engaging with overseas were, were capable to do the majority of things that our people onshore were. We noticed that it was really difficult for them to be able to hold relationships with key clients, um, but we did see that they could actually definitely provide capacity to develop um, trial balances, tax returns, and do a lot of the work that our, our team here was just struggling to get through. What we did do is, is we didn't hold back on saying you can't do specific parts of, of our process. Uh, we said that you can do all of it. We'll train you. We'll teach you. It's a great way to do it. Now, Justin, do you have a niche market that you target um, with your firm? So we uh, target health professionals, allied health industry, um, and quite a number of property sectors, both development and just straight real estate agents and property management. Great. Now, you've told us a little bit about your story, but do you want to just elaborate a little bit more about the story of setting up your offshore team? Um, what yep. were your motivations behind doing this versus other priorities that you have within your firm? 
Initially, uh, we went through a period, um, and I assume it's similar for most professional service providers, we went through a period of deflation or, or even if it wasn't deflation, it was staying still, which is deflationary anyway. Um, we're finding it more and more difficult to charge um, additional fees to our existing client base uh, for, for compliance-based activity. So in doing that, we thought, well, wait a sec, our, our margins are getting swamped here. We're still getting wage rate claims in Australia. Um, we're still paying more rent. Uh, all those things that were contributing to our overhead were still going up. So we wanted to claw back some margin. Initially, uh, we went to Vietnam and tried a provider there, but the process just didn't work for us. Uh, we also went to India um, after the Vietnam experiment and the Indians, the Indian solution was a great solution. They were very productive. Um, they were very good at what they did. But we wanted to um, integrate and manage and develop our own team. Um, we saw it more of a relationship between our team members and us as opposed to just having uh, uh, buying a block of hours from a particular group. Uh, so effectively, that's why we ended up in the Philippines. It gave us that flexibility to actually deal face to face with our people. Yeah, excellent. Now, how did you go about getting set up? How did you find us? What was the process and how long did it take? I'm, I'm rough around these numbers, but it was June 2014. Uh, another firm um, in Perth and I uh, developed or set up our own basically tour. Um, we got some guidance from some players from the accounting industry and also one of our clients that um, also has a business over in the Philippines. Um, set us up with drivers and hotels and, and, and contacts. So we went around and visited uh, about seven uh, BPOs over the course of three days um, from Clark and, and through Manila. And through that process, we obviously got introduced to you, Nick, and, and um, started talking about your philosophy and how, how you were going with, with your industry. Obviously, tell us that totally different base now than what it was back then and the facilities obviously are significantly different and the focus is significantly different but it was it was great for us we got out there and uh, it was good fun uh, it was a massive eye-opener um, but finding finding a BPO that we could rely on and trust and work with was was really a key uh, key motivating factor for us in starting that so we, we went up in June 14 by September 14 we'd already onboarded our first um, two actually, first two people, um, with Toa. So it was relatively quick and pain-free. Excellent. So for someone looking to set up an offshore team, what advice would you give their, to them to move as quickly as possible? Um, what would be the three most critical things that you would spend your time on? Be certain of the tasks that you want to offshore and build out your position descriptions to ensure the team members understand the expectations and accountabilities. Um, and as you know, cultural differences between Australia and the Philippines are significant. So uh, getting them to understand and feel better or more comfortable with you it was one of the key things that we've um, ensured we spent a bit of time on. So the three things that we would really focus on now is position descriptions, training and methodology and getting your tech right. So our technology just wasn't right for us at the start. We spent some time getting that sorted and, and now it works fine. 
So with the technology piece, do you want to just elaborate a little bit more around that? Are you were you a cloud-based practice, um, or was it more server-based? And and what's that transition been over the last couple of years? We shifted our servers offsite um, mostly in two thousand and ten ish, um, which was great uh, revolution for our business. We didn't have the backup tapes and all the other rubbish that goes with it, um, and the in the investment obviously into the hardware, but. We, we had a provider in the initial stages, which were great for what they did, but as the investment requirement um, increased, they couldn't, they couldn't support that. Through Tower, actually, once we were up there, we got introduced to um, Fresh Method, Ready Secure, um, and they went about building out our current technology piece, which allows us to, uh, again, our servers are off, off-site, but our, the real concern prior to that was the internet issue that we had in the Philippines. So your team up there were grabbing, or our team up there were grabbing information and having to work offline effectively and then bring it back on to save it because the uh, internet between Australia and the Philippines at that point in time was no good. But it wasn't about the internet actually at all. It was about the routing of that internet. So that got rerouted and it was basically fixed overnight. Excellent. And that's something that a lot of, we just find a lot of accounting firms just don't understand their technology locally. Um, and then when you're trying to, I suppose, do that on a global scale, linking between offices, multi-sites, um, it can become more complex. But again, if you have the right provider that understands the global environment, it makes it a lot easier. If you had one word or phrase to describe the value that your offshore team provides, what would it be? Um, capacity and margin, effectively. It's given us capacity to grow our um, grow our client base and also our service offering, um, and it's also given us margin. There's no doubt that we're more profitable now than what we were uh, four or five years ago. Yeah, great. Now you've been on this journey for a while. There's obviously a lot of perceptions around offshoring. What are the main things that you've heard, and what what surprised you the most? Perceptions changed significantly since we started our offshoring journey. Um, obviously, you know, four years ago, three to four years ago, the perception that we felt was in the marketplace was that, you know, you're, you're basically taking Australian jobs offshore, um, you're using sweatshops, you're not paying them well enough and you're not um, then reducing fees uh, to your existing clients. All that perception's changed significantly. Um, it's now not a taboo subject. We, we talk about it openly with our team. We have um, clients dealing directly with um, some of our team members in the Philippines, depending on the tasks that are being provided. And, and now we're having conversations around um, what outsourcing can do for different sectors. So I had a meeting with a real estate client last week and they said to me, we know that you're doing the offshoring thing and you've been involved in that. Is there anything in our business that we could offshore? And, you know, those conversations were not happening four years ago. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And look, I think, you know, there's a an advisory role for accounting firms moving forward to help their clients with the strategy around, you know, how do they get the right people doing the right task globally for, for their businesses? Because it works for theirs just as much as it works for yours. Um, Absolutely. But, yeah, certainly agree with, you know, the client perception. What we f have found um, over the years is the only time a client will complain is if the quality of work is not to the standard they expect and the timeframes are not being met. 
And 99.9% of the time, that's a firm problem. It's not an actual offshoring problem. Absolutely. I agree with that wholeheartedly. So the year ahead, what is the plan with your offshore team? Um, How do you plan to keep growing your team, their capacity and their performance? Yeah. So continual development and training with our existing team. Uh, We're starting to shift more and more tasks up to them uh, to make sure that we utilise the capacity that we do have uh, spare up there. We think that we've got um, plenty more tasks down in Australia that we can shift uh, up to the Philippines. And and in fact, right now, um, we need to identify a number of tasks because we've had a few people, uh, one on maternity leave, uh, one chosen to move on for family reasons. Um, and, and I'm I'm not keen on replacing them here. So we'll, we'll look at the tasks that they've got um, and we'll, we'll share them out with our team up there and, and also uh, get some more team members up there to allow us to actually have that capacity. We think that, well, I, I'm, a, I'm a massive believer um, that if we, can, if we can find the tasks that are in Australia that can be um, productised effectively, we can send them up there and, and get them turned around in a really um, quick manner. Yeah, couldn't agree more. So recommendation for our listeners uh, today, what are some of the top things that you would recommend that they would do in managing an offshore team? Um, connect, create a, create a relationship with the team members. Um, you can't just see them as a, as a block of hours sitting somewhere. You, you really need to invite them in and be part of the business. Um, we, we have our team members. Uh, in our WIP meetings uh, on screen, um, they get briefed on quarterly performance, uh, monthly performance, exactly the same as our team do in Australia. So we want to integrate them and make sure that they feel as much as part of us as what we we rely on them. Um, and so create a relationship, connect and integrate. Obviously integrate the team with our Australian team, make sure that they feel really comfortable with us. Um, and let the team know the expectations and the accountabilities that we have um, for the tasks that they're doing so that they're clear on what they need to deliver. Some great points there. Justin, I want to ask another further question. So you mentioned before where you had an Indian team where you had block amount of hours. What's been Mm. the biggest benefit that you've had with your Philippines team where you are building the relationship? They're, in essence, your team members. What's been the Mm. biggest difference between Vietnam and India versus what your current setup is with the the Philippines team? Um, There's no doubt that our Philippines team... Um, are building, even though some of them don't have any direct client contact, they're, they're building understanding of our client groups um, and they understand what our clients' desires, needs, objectives are on a monthly, annual, whatever, quarterly basis. Um, so, you know, they're, they're actually looking out for our clients, whereas the Philippines and the, uh, sorry, the Vietnamese and the Indian um, product that we were using was effectively just get a job done get it back to us, see you later, that's done, move on to the next one. Um, that's not something that we want to develop and grow with. Yeah, and I completely agree. It's about building a global distributed workforce as opposed to getting certain jobs or tasks done. Um, and this is one thing I talk a lot about um, to accounting firms is around offshoring about building your business to make it more efficient. It's not all just tax and compliance work. It's, it's what's going to make your business more efficient. Um so, Justin, one of the key things that a lot of new um, new clients ask us is, how do you measure the success of your offshore team? Because obviously, profitability is not going to be there straight away. It is a long-term journey to, to build a team. So, what do you, what KPIs do you use to measure the success of your offshore team? 
Um, so, you know, in a lot of industries, the, the things that we're measuring them by are also things that we're obviously measuring our interaction by. Um, so completion of tasks. So we, under, we want to understand how long these guys are taking to complete tasks and, and we want to see that as they get better and better. Obviously, the time consumed will get less and less. Um, so completion of tasks uh, and finishing jobs. I'm a big believer that across the board in our whole team, um, you know, productivity and, and those types of things that we were really focused on, you know, five, ten years ago is, is something that, you know, if we do the work, we'll complete jobs. So, therefore, uh, if we do the time, we're going to complete jobs. Therefore, you know, we're being efficient. So, completion of tasks is a massive one for us. Review points, um, making sure that we're reducing review point numbers. So, through that, we're seeing that our team are getting to understand more and they've been developed and they're actually getting trained. Um, and productivity is another one that we do focus on a little bit, but it's not the be-all and end-all for us. Yeah, I love that review points one. I actually use different terminology. I call it training points um, because yeah. typically what we find is that that normally is just a process that they either don't understand or need some further training on to, to understand yeah. it more. Um, yeah. So, yeah, love it. All righty. How has offshoring contributed to giving you more time personally? Obviously, sole director of the firm. Um, has it given you more of a work-life balance? Um, absolutely. Uh, I'm, I'm spending, through, through the process, obviously, there was a bit of time consumed in developing our team. But, you know, I do have choices. I do take, um, I'm not sure you take six to eight weeks leave a year, um, which a lot of accountants don't get to take that time off. Um, and, I, and I do spend, a, I've got three kids um, and a family, obviously. So um, I do spend considerable time with them, drop off. A lot of days, pick up some days. Um, I'm not here um, at night until 10, 11 o'clock at night, which is what we used to do. And we encourage our team here in Australia definitely not to be focusing on those types of hours. Yeah, fantastic. Fantastic. So has offshoring had an effect on your average hourly rate and or your profit to the firm? Absolutely. Um, average hourly rate's increased. Um, we, we do have some... You know, it's all not rose-coloured glasses. We do have some blowouts sometimes um, on recoverability and efficiency. So, you know, there's always little challenges around that and tinkering. Uh, but profitability overall is significantly better than it's ever been um, through the use of offshoring as obviously a key tool. That It's created capacity that's allowed us to do more work and develop more services and sell more services. So it's... Uh, it's, it's definitely a contributing factor. And that's changed, obviously, over the, the four years that you have been offshoring. Like, what was it like three, four years ago compared to now? Um, so I would have thought the profitability now would be up uh, 35 to 40%. Significant. It's a big yeah. difference. So obviously, profit's not the reason to offshore. It's one of the benefits. But no, what's been the absolutely. offshoring? Yeah, what's been the benefit to your clients? We've been able to obviously turn around work a lot quicker. Uh, one of the challenges we're now having is that we've got bottlenecks back in Australia. Um, one, getting work up to the team, and two, getting it reviewed and back to them um, for completion. So we've got to sort those out uh, onshore. Um, and maybe developing a, a someone in the Philippines as the first point of review may be the answer to that, actually. Um, so we need to develop that a little bit more. Um, 
Yeah. And uh, what, what was the sorry? What was the question again? Around how it's benefited your clients and being able to offer different services. Absolutely. So quicker turnaround and access to you know different services like professional bookkeeping services. We thought that was overpriced. Um, in Australia, we've delivered that to market um, significantly cheaper. It's allowed us to sell more product to our client than what we were before. Yeah, excellent. So what one bit of advice would you give your younger self from a business sense um, or business point of view? Um, don't go with legacy. Challenge all the things that are in a traditional business model and see what you can enhance, change, offshore, develop, etc. Um, and don't try and be everything to everyone. Find your product, find your niche and basically go for it. Yeah, great advice. Now, what bit of advice would you give your younger self from a personal point of view? <laughs> Ensure you always have time to live because you don't get time back. Couldn't agree more. So what's been the biggest myth or objection you've heard about having an offshore team and is it true? <laughs> In the early days, um, we had been involved, uh, I think it was on an ABC news front around offshoring um, and a potential new client who we'd been speaking with for, for a few weeks uh, saw it and said, rang us and said, oh, because you're offshoring, you can now I'll pay half of what you've quoted me. And we said, no, I don't think so. It doesn't work that way. So, um, you know, absolutely there's benefits to our clients uh, in using an offshore team, but do you give 100% of the margin back to them? No way. No, couldn't agree more. And we just see that it's being able to deliver services quicker, faster, um, you know, add more value for the same cost. Um, you know, I've never really seen any firm dropping it unless it's a, a client growth strategy, which is really dropping prices on one service to get them in the door and then charging, you know, on the other services oh, they offer. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. So for someone looking to grow their business or and or their team, what's the best piece of advice that you've heard and implemented that you could pass on? Um, I'm a big believer in in not reinventing the wheel because there's a lot of people that have been out there and been through a lot of pain uh, to get to where they've got to. So find the people that you can trust and, and value their their opinion. Um, listen to them. Take the pieces that are that resonate with you and implement. Don't try and be something that you're not. So only take the pieces that are really relevant to you. And that's great advice. I mean, a big part of that is around why we've built the client community. So why we run our roadshows um, locally to get clients together, why we get try and get everyone together as often as possible because someone's already been there and done it. It's one of the reasons why we're doing this podcast. I mean, your experience for four years, someone going into the journey now um, can learn some of these things so they don't have to make the same mistakes that you would have done as an earlier adopter. Yeah, sure. So we're going to uh, quick five questions um, to finish off. So what cloud software do you use? Uh, Zero XPM, Spotlight, Receipt Bank, Supermate. Um, and we potentially are going to Sweet Files pretty soon. Excellent. Now, what's your favourite app that you spend most of your time on? My <laughs> is my AFL app. No business there. <laughs> I can tell you're a Perth boy. All right. What's your... What's your must-read each week? Uh, my business news subscription. Uh, business news is a, a local business news um, provider in the Perth market. Excellent. Your favourite social media channel? LinkedIn. Excellent. And your favourite KPI? 
completion. Excellent. Now, if any of our listeners want to get in contact you, with you or stalk you, what's uh, the best way for them to connect? Is it through LinkedIn, your website? Uh, through LinkedIn, through my website. Um, I have provided uh, some uh, social contact um, details as well. So if you get a chance, you can whack them up. Well, excellent. We'll put them in the show notes. And that's everything for today, Justin. So thanks very much for your time today. Appreciate all of your valuable insights. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. To follow our podcast and get insights from leading accountants, simply visit theoutsourcedaccountant.com or visit iTunes or SourCloud and head to the Offshore Accountant Podcast. To connect with me personally, just look for my Twitter handle at Nick Q Sinclair or find me on LinkedIn at Nick Sinclair. Thanks and have a great day.